ESPN Tournament Challenge is here. And guess what? I'm doing my bracket right now. Making picks, predicting upsets, winning my bracket group, and leaving my old life as a part-time voice actor behind. Hey, you never know. And if I can do it while recording this awesome commercial, you can too. Anyone can bracket. Download the ESPN Tournament Challenge app to play the number one bracket game. Presented by Capital One. And just like that, the longest offseason in all of sports has come to an end. Welcome back to the ESPN College Football YouTube channel. I am Matt Barry. I am so happy to be back with you for another season to talk college football. We've got so many exciting things planned for this season right here on the College Football YouTube channel. We will have our weekly previews where we look at some of the biggest games and some of the biggest storylines coming into each and every college football weekend. We will enjoy a recap on Sunday mornings with a Bloody Mary like we always do. We can sit back, laugh, cry, and yell at each other. And again, each and every week, I will be joined by America's favorite guest, Paul Feinbaum, for our weekly recaps of the college football weekend. Paul, I feel like it's been too long, and then I feel like it's been too short. Either way, welcome back. Well, thank you. Yeah, no, college football is offseason. is so weird. It's not like the NBA where, where it ends on a Sunday and starts again on a Wednesday or the NFL, which never ends. Uh, there, There is an offseason. Uh, there shouldn't be, but uh, Matt has to find other things to do. I call XFL, <laughs> XFL games. I don't even know what well, games you called. I just kept seeing you every Saturday <laughs> night. Yeah, I mean, look, that, that, I think that's what it is, too. The, the offseason ends, you know, that second week in January when the national championship is inevitably when an SEC team wins it. And then we have until Labor Day weekend. Well, if you do the math, that's nine months of an offseason, which is incredibly too long. But we have the gap with recruiting. We've got spring football uh, coming up in the next couple of weeks. We're going to have the respective media days throughout the country. And that's really, Paul, when everything uh, gets going and Seven Saturdays now from when we tape this of when the season starts and kind of big picture for you. What was the biggest in your mind, the biggest storyline that kept us going this offseason till this point? Well, uh, remember uh, where I live, it was Georgia and I live in the South, Matt. And it wasn't, you know, can Georgia repeat it? Can Georgia quit uh, stubbing its toe. Uh, and, and I'm using that phrase uh, gently. It started a week after the national championship with the tragic uh, motor vehicle death uh, involving a player and a, and a, and a staffer. Uh, you had the Jalen Carter thing, which he, he had already left, but it still got in the way. And then countless other incidents. And it's still going on. And uh, as we sit here today, a week away from, from SEC media days, Kirby Smart you know we'll address that issue, uh, whether he says very much or whether the the problem has been rectified is, is open-ended. But I, I think it comes with the territory when you are the hunted and they are now the definitive college football program in America, then uh, bad things uh, usually come your way. Yeah, and, you know, I'll unpack that here for a minute because Georgia should be reveling in their back-to-back -back national championships, and I think that they are. Because, as you mentioned, they are the unquestioned dominant program in college football right now. Schedule sets up for a three-peat. We'll get into that in a minute. But as I was kind of looking at some of the stuff to talk about and, and where Georgia sits in the hierarchy of college football, they are at the top. But I went back and thought about this, Paul. The one thing that can bring down a dynasty, the one thing that can 
wreck any period of domination is scandal or it's controversy. One of the ones that I come back to, you look at Miami and what they were dealing with back in the day. They were untouchable until that thing kind of got a little bit too big for what Miami wanted to deal with. USC under Pete Carroll. There was a time where it looked like they were going to win college football for the next decade plus. The one team and the one program that's been able to, to sidestep that has been Nick Saban in Alabama. But with what Kirby Smart's built, to me, Paul, the only thing that can take this, it's not another quarterback. They've got five stars everywhere. It's it's not being able to handle yourself off the field, which I would hope Kirby, who seems like a very much a disciplinarian, would recognize that you can't let this wreck what's being built in Athens. And, and I don't think he is mad, but sometimes uh, it, it takes a while to catch up. And yeah, and the real question, and this is not a cover for Kirby Smart, is you know, how much of this goes on elsewhere we just don't know about. And I think a, a lot of it does. And I mean, I kept hearing from fans, you know, why can't these young guys learn? Well, because they're young guys. Uh, and when you're young and foolish, you do young and foolish things. And that goes for everyone. Uh, so I, I, th I don't think it's quite as big a story as some media outlets have made it. Even in Georgia now, you have a you have fans who are turning on the media who is reporting it. That's understandable in today's yeah. very one-dimensional media world where you you pay for what you get. You get good coverage because that's that's where you subscribe. But ultimately, I, I think the attention will will turn to the season. And Kirby Smart is, is in, it's interesting about Kirby Smart. Ten years ago, he was the key assistant on Nick Saban's staff as that program was going for a three-peat. Mm -hmm. And it came down to the 12th game of the year on the final play when the, when the infamous kick six happened. And I ran into Nick Saban not long afterwards. Uh, it was actually after the season. And, and he was fuming about what? The discipline on the team and the lack of leadership. Some of the same things that you'll probably hear Kirby Smart stress to his team as they get ready for camp in a few weeks. Yeah, and, and I might be off base with this, but I, I find something you hit on it. Like why? Well, there's two things. One why can't kids learn? Well, there's NIL money flowing in like never before. And so these kids can spend their money on whatever they want. That's part one. But part two, if you look geographically at where some of these big programs are, well, what's the biggest market of media, media market that covers Alabama? Well, it's Birmingham. What's the biggest media market that covers Georgia? Well, that's Atlanta. And that's a big media market, similar to what USC dealt with when they were doing their, when they had their scandal break with Reggie Bush, well, that was the LA media market. And I know that they're embedded in the market and it's still about an hour and a half away from Atlanta to, to Athens. But Paul, proximity to a major media market in college sports is everything because sometimes a lot of these big programs are nestled away into an area that might not otherwise get a lot of attention. And having been an investigative reporter in my early days. Uh, I say this now, uh, you can pretty much create whatever you want as long as uh, you have a little bit of, of, of a little bit of news to work on. And, and, and I think in some ways that's the case. You, you have a lot of players who have been on the fringe of trouble and the uh, medium person, the, the media entity in question here is the Atlanta Journal-Constitution which used to be an outstanding newspaper. I don't know what it is anymore because there are no such things as newspapers outside of New York and, and, and Washington and a few other places. And 
it's fascinating uh, just to watch this battle between fans and, and the AJC. And, and I don't really know. I, I would normally take the media's side, but I'm, I'm skeptical of the media these days as well, Matt, because they, they are fighting for their own survival. I mean, I just literally read uh, a tweet as we were coming on the air here. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the New York, York Times, Times yeah. is, uh, is getting rid of its sports staff. Uh, well, I mean, they, they, they also own the athletic, but I mean, the New York Times, uh, you know, using uh, another entity to cover sports is uh, there, there's no such thing as whatever, it, whatever it used to be. It no longer is. Yeah, it's survival in a lot of industries is is something we've seen over the last decade or so as technology continues to emerge and people have the news at their fingertips. I mean, with since the last time you and I talked on SportsCenter, another social media platform was launched and it continues <laughs> to continue to grow. Uh, so story number one is we count down seven weeks to the start of the college football season. I would say Georgia offseason wise. I want to get into their schedule in just a minute, but I also want to keep it SEC because it is our job to put out there what I think are stories that maybe might more, be more regionally fascinated to your audience gets it, but on the ESPN college football, YouTube channel, we're much bigger than a regionally located entity. And for me, it needs to be discussed because I find that this has either an explosion of success or combustible beyond all belief. <clears throat> ESPN tournament challenge is here. And guess what? I'm doing my bracket right now. Making picks, predicting upsets, winning my bracket group, and leaving my old life as a part-time voice actor behind. Hey, you never know. And if I can do it while recording this awesome commercial, you can too. Anyone can bracket. Download the ESPN Tournament Challenge app to play the number one bracket game. Presented by Allstate. The pairing of Jimbo Fisher and Bobby Petrino in Texas A&M which to me feels like a last ditched effort for Jimbo to finally get Texas A&M over the hump. Because at this point, Paul, it's been close, but has not been executed to what I think people in Aggieland thought would happen. It is a last ditch effort, Matt, you are correct. But to me, it's, it's, it's ingenious uh, because Bobby Petrino, uh, if you did a compilation of, you know, the top, 10 offensive play callers in the last 25 years, he would, he would be on there. He's, he's well thought. He, you know, the fact that he's, you know, got no personality and has been fired and involved in personal scandals and uh, all kinds of other uh, controversy that, that that's, you know, that, but, J but Jimbo Fisher, I think said, you know what, I, I've, I've got to at least go through the motions here. Uh, and, and, he, and he went out and brought in uh, Petrino, which I, I think was smart, as opposed to just you know going uh, you know, to the to the most obvious choice of a available offensive coordinator, which probably wouldn't get the job done. I don't know whether it will work. Uh, I suspect it it will work short term. Uh, what happens if there's a terrible third down call that costs them a big game? Uh, Jimbo's not one to. Uh, to take too much uh, blame himself. So he'll, he'll probably throw Bobby Petrino under the bus and the uh, world of, uh, of podcasts and YouTube channels will go over and it, it will be an overdrive the next day. But but I, I think it was the right call. It was a desperate call, but it was the right call. So the, the only way, I'm going to make a, a parallel and give you an example. And the only reason I think it might be a little bit different is that the, the head coach that I'm going to use as an example was not an offensive-minded head coach, but he's very much a control-minded head coach. And that's Nick Saban. And I think we all looked around. You're like, wait a second. 
How in the hell is Nick Saban and Lane Kiffin going to work? How is he going to bring in Lane Kiffin, a guy that's is his own offensive egomaniac? How is that going to work with a guy like, well, it works famously until the very end. And so I looked at this and I said, well, wait a second. Nick bringing in Lane Kiffin won national championships. Is it possible that Jimbo put the ego aside a bit with another offensive-minded head coach who's had a lot of success and said, I'm going to give this a run because we haven't been able to catch Alabama. Paul, Brian Kelly and LSU caught AM in year one. Hugh Freeze is now at Auburn. This thing is not getting easier. Lane's at Ole Miss. You've got Texas and Oklahoma coming in. You have to figure something out quick, or this will go down as one of the most expensive hires that didn't work in college football history. I think I think he under listen. Jimbo smart is smart, uh, and I think he realized he didn't have many many cards to play. And you know, we spent all of last year uh, on on Sunday morning, Matt, talking about you know would would they buy him out? And it's pretty obvious they did not want to buy him out, and I still don't think they do. And this gives them a chance to make it. And if you're at the if you're from a it's a dangerous move, but but I don't think Jimbo Fisher can worry about that. I say dangerous because it's easier to fire Jimbo Fisher now. Uh, that you have somebody who's, <laughs> who's able to take over. Uh, you know, this isn't uh, just some garden variety offensive coordinator. So, I, no, but I, I firmly believe uh, A&M does not want to fire Jimbo Fisher. I think they want him there. Uh, and the people with whom I've spoken to that are part of that program say so far it's gone well. Now, that doesn't mean anything. That means that Bobby Petrino's got his parking spot. Uh, he uh, he went through uh, orientation with the HR people, uh, which he probably needed. And and beyond, <laughs> and beyond that, uh, they had a pretty decent spring without without any uh, controversy. Yeah, and and here's what we know, especially I mean, look, the SEC East for the past however long has been dominated by Georgia. Tennessee appears to be on the rise. Shane Beamer, South Carolina appears to be on the rise. Year two of Billy Napier, will that thing get going? The one thing you can't say is that about the SEC West is that it's, look, Alabama has been the, the classic college football for quite some time, but LSU got in there and won a national championship. Ole Miss now under Lane Kiffin is going to compete. Texas A&M has the resources to be at that level just based on recruiting rankings. And as they get into transition with the new offensive play caller, so too does Alabama bringing in Tommy Reese, which, how do I put this? <laughs> it was puzzling. Look, I, I think Tommy's a, a young football mind, quarterback at Notre Dame, did something special there. But in comes Tommy Reese and Tyler Buckner. And I, I don't know where Alabama is now because this seems so – you cover them better than anybody. Did, did did I read this right? Did it seem bizarre? It, it did. Uh, and I, I think the conundrum at Alabama is this, Matt. Enormous talent. They're still recruiting at a very elite level. But and and you can you can just kind of go on for the rest of the day after after I say but what but what happens now, and. I, I think you have to have an honest conversation uh, no, for com for podcasts like this, unlike, you know, Sports Center or unlike uh, what I do, you, you don't have to put the guest on and he doesn't have to say, well, Nick Saban is the best. We, we all know that. We all know who Nick Saban is. The question is, where is he today? And I feel confident about Alabama this fall, but 
for for all of those people who say, well, they only lost two games last year uh, on the last play, they're they're not telling the truth. The real picture is they also won two games on the last play and won another game in the last 45 seconds. Mm -hmm. uh, and it could have gone badly. Uh, it didn't. Uh, so Nick Saban escaped. Uh, he, he's he's brilliant at that. And and now what happens? And, and I, I couldn't tell you about Tyler Buckner. I mean, I, I don't have enough data to give you an honest opinion. I mean, I know what he's good at. I know what he's bad at. Uh, Tommy Reese, same thing. I'll spare you what, what you already know. Uh, puzzling is is being charitable, Matt. So before we move on from the SEC, I want to wrap it up with this. SEC Media Days in in a week. Uh, you'll you'll be there. The show will be there. It's going to be. It's just. It's a. It's a absolute circus. It's a gong show. What Media Days has turned into. Your biggest storyline prior to SEC Media Days is what? I think uh, once you push Kirby Smart's uh, situation off the table, which I think you know it, it will be handled within five minutes, it, it, it is the it, it is what happens next with Nick Saban, and can he hold serve against Brian Kelly? Matt, a lot of pundits, which is essentially what Media Day is, is, is about LSU having moved into that position. I don't buy it. Uh, I think Alabama is still very strong. I think the LSU-Alabama game being in Tuscaloosa matters uh, a lot in, in favor of the Crimson Tide. So, uh, But what if we're wrong? What, uh, what if Brian Kelly has really already uh, changed the dynamics in such a short period of time? So I, I'm, I'm focused, as I usually am, on Saban. But, but this is, without a doubt, one of the most intriguing uh, media days with Nick Saban that we've ever had. Could I tempt you with the return of Hugh Freeze back in the SEC? You did can. you think you, did you think hell two years ago that was even a possibility? You know me. I was the one always saying he needs a second chance, get him back in the league because he knows how to win. But we didn't think it would happen. And here it is. Not only did it happen, he's on the other side of the iron bowl now. And and not only did it happen, Matt, it happened flawlessly. Uh all the all the hue and cry about what he did or didn't do or why he got fired. It, it was over in five seconds. He handled uh, his, his introduction yep. brilliantly. Uh, I've seen Hugh a couple of times at, at events and, and he's just very cool. You know, Hugh very well. And uh, I, I give him a, a, you know, an A plus plus for the way he's handled it. And not only that, the Auburn fans are, are just enthusiastic really I mean, they're on board now they are on board and and it, it has as much to do with the person he replaced brian harson no 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 debating here whether you know he he's a good football coach he was a terrible fit not his fault yeah. he took the job but he he neutered any any level of enthusiasm uh freeze has said you know what i'm i know this league i'm, I'm not afraid of uh, big bad nick saban i've already beaten him twice uh, I can handle these guys, and and Auburn fans are just clapping and screaming and and chanting and and think that they're back. Uh, you know, and, and you know, it doesn't. It won't take much for Hugh Freeze to to seal that deal, uh, and and I think he's got a good chance of doing it. It is so good looking at how many coaches in the in the class of coach that is in the SEC West. Forget the entire conference, but in the SEC West. And as we continue to talk about coaches, there's been a prevailing storyline this offseason that has driven me absolutely nuts. And it it drives me nuts because it's also what 
makes me fall in love with this sport to begin with. And it's the passion of the people. It's the passion of the fans. It is you need to win this game to prove to us that you are still worthy of this job. But can we please stop? Can we just stop the narrative that Ryan Day is in trouble because he's lost to Michigan two years in a row? I don't want to hear it. I don't want that story to be out there. He could have beaten Georgia in the playoffs, which I know he didn't, but he could have beaten Georgia in the playoffs. You could argue they were the most talented team in the country top to bottom. I don't care that he's lost to Michigan twice. He is a top flight head coach that's got Ohio State in contention every year. Paul, stop it with that. And I'm not saying you, I'm talking in well, generality. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you why everything you just said is true and, and why everything you just said is going to go on deaf ears. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was with you Friday on Sports Center, and, yeah. and I used I used I, I I didn't say I think Ryan Day is on the hot seat. I said if he loses to Michigan, according to some people, pretty important phrase there I used, he will be on the hot seat. Matt, I know you have better things to do than read Twitter all weekend, but I don't. And I saw on countless websites, Five Bomb says Ryan Day on the hot seat, stupidest take of the year. Well. What does that mean? That means that the media out there is just desperate for a big story. And that is a big story. The fact that some goofball mentioned it on SportsCenter uh, on on, set, uh, on Friday afternoon. And, and Matt, that game does matter. And I frankly think they are going to exceed even the expectations that they have this year for all the reasons that you've laid out. But you can't really move a program forward at a level uh, like like Ryan Day has done uh, and, and and lose again to your biggest opponent. By the way, I'm I'm not suggesting he gets fired. That 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 is absurd. I mean, he's he what is he still in single digit losses? He's uh, played for a championship and and been to the playoffs a few times, but we you and I don't control the narratives out there and no. we do help the narrative. We can though. try. <laughs> yeah, and and by the way, it when you you can't give a take anymore about Ryan Day without somebody misinterpreting it. But I, I'm 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 an adult. I, I get it. I brought it up. I, nobody forced me to to use the word hot seat. Uh, but it won't be the last time you hear that take. Is it because not only because when you look at at Michigan, you got to go to Ann Arbor for the story because that's where this narrative stops and starts. It's Jim Harbaugh. It's Michigan, and it's that I believe Harbaugh has now consistently elevated Michigan into the conversation of they are going to be a top seven team year in and year out. I just firmly believe that. Now, if it doesn't stop his dances with the NFL, then maybe that continues to impact it, but it hasn't to this point. I believe the reason the Ryan Day thing is such a topic, one, I've lot two years in a row he's lost to him, but Paul, two, Michigan's been in the playoff. Two years in a row. It's not just enough that Michigan's beaten Ohio State because in any other year that would be enough to get to get Columbus fired up. It's that now Harbaugh has Michigan in a position year in and year out to take what Ohio State believes is theirs, which is the Big Ten championship and a spot in the playoff, and then ultimately a spot in the national championship game. Well, that's it. The Big Ten championship two years in a row, the playoffs, and that, that does not go well in Columbia. I would argue that Columbia and probably Columbus. Uh, are are the are the two toughest fan bases to to appease when 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 things aren't going well because they're so they're 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 identical they're identical fan bases in many ways where Michigan fans are a little bit different but aside from all that uh, Ryan Day 
should should have had a national championship by now. I, I would argue, uh, going back in time, uh, Urban Meyer under underachieved uh, with, with only one national championship during his tenure. He he missed out a couple of times. The the the, uh, the, the, the year after the national championship in fifteen with Ezekiel Elliott when they lost that game to Michigan State, they had yeah. the best team in the country that year. Loaded. And, and Buckeye fans understand that, so that so they do hold their coach to to uh, to a high level. And I, I mean, you can't help but feel badly for Ryan Day. But okay, what are we talking about? I heard more about a loss in the offseason. Every time every time I'm in New York or Washington or somewhere else in the country, I had a Buckeye. Well, you know that field goal. I, I don't care about that field goal. You lost the game. Move on. Okay. <laughs> you, we were we were sitting there and. and there's always this debate because it was, it was a few years ago now uh, where you could argue Alabama had the best wide receiver room in the history of college football. And then I'm on the other day on sports center with Jordan Reed, one of our NFL draft scouts. And I looked back at him. I said, do you realize that in one receiver room, Ohio state had Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, Jackson Smith and Jigba and Marvin Harrison jr. And that, to me, when you look at that and some of the other Chase Young, some of the other first-round picks, C.J. Stroud, Justin Fields, you could argue now that in the tail end of the Ryan or the Urban Meyer era and now in the Ryan Day era, Paul, I think it's possible that Ohio State, top to bottom, if you're playing this thing on roster and paper, has had the most talented roster in college football for the better part of five years. And I think that's another reason people start questioning the Ryan Day experience that he's got NFL talent oozing out of that that uh, helmet, yet it hasn't resulted in a national championship yet. We've had it out. And, and, and Matt, we, we live in a hot take society. Uh, do I need to tell you, considering where you work? Um, <laughs> just walk up and down the hallway during uh, the, the mid the mid the mid morning hours. And it, and, and they're an easy target, too. I mean, we're not talking about some garden variety program here. Uh, and when you have enormous talent, uh, you, you get you are held accountable. I mean, I I used to run into I ran into Steve Spurrier one time uh, uh, when he was still coaching at South Carolina. And he said, what happened? To, what happened? To your buddy uh, Saban? I said, what, what do you mean? They they lost the national championship game. He said, how come? How did they ever lose? And he made it was a pretty good point when you look at the talent there between 2009 and until probably about two years ago, uh, they always had the most talent. Ohio State is now probably uh, in that realm. And I think Georgia, I mean, we, we essentially have three programs right now that, uh, I mean, how many teams between Georgia, Alabama and and Ohio State? I mean, you could divvy up about uh, eight or nine, uh, eight or nine rosters. You could. I mean, you could add Clemson into that mix. Clemson's yeah. one of those teams that consistently now under Dabo Sweeney is a generational quarterbacks. So they seem to reload every year. And that's where I think I changed my mind as I move to this final topic here on our season preview on the ESPN College Football YouTube channel. The playoff era is effectively going to change as we know it. We'll have a four-team college football playoff this year. I don't want to be that person, but I will for a second say you could probably insert a couple of those already, which is why the screams and the yells for college football playoff expansion. I've since changed my mind on it. I don't know that it'll dictate and change the outcome too much. I still think you're going to see probably the same rotation of four teams in the national championship, but change is coming again to college football, which is the one constant, Paul, as we get into another year of the four-team college football playoff. How do you believe big picture 
this new era that we're going to usher in in a year with an expanded playoff will help either alter the regular season for better or for good. And for these other teams that say they're playoff caliber teams, how do you think that'll impact them moving forward? Well, it, it would change the perception dramatically. Not 100% sure how, but the line gets changed. Right now, what do we talk about uh, once the season starts? Uh, who's in, who's out? That's going to be a tough sports center question, Matt, uh, <laughs> in, in, in October of, of 24. Who's your top 12? I mean, it's, it's too long. So then it becomes, if you didn't make the playoff, what does that mean? Uh, there, there used to be bowl. It used to be bowl eligible. Did you make? Are you in the running for your conference championship? And and now I think if you're if you're a name brand, if you're a Clemson or a, a Southern Cal or Ohio State or Alabama, and you don't make the playoffs, that that's really a bad year. Forget uh, losing in the semifinals on a on a botched field goal. So perceptions start to change. I do think it makes uh, certain games maybe early in the year, less important, right. but I don't think it makes games late in the year uh, less important as some people fear because uh, here we go. I'm, I'm going to use the NFL model. We do care about games that, that help determine whether you're in the playoffs, whether you avoid uh, a buy or whether you get home field. And I think that narrative is going to come to college football very quickly. Well, what I think it does too, is this is the one area where it is going to be impacted. We know the SEC is getting rid of divisions, which I've long been a proponent of get rid of divisions and all the conferences. Show me the best two teams in the conference championship game. I don't care if they're from the East or the West. We've seen it in the Big Ten. It's been a one-side dominated Big Ten. Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, Michigan State. They're always the winner of the Big Ten championship. But what it does do you get rid of the divisions. You have the best teams in college football play for the conference championship. But Paul, I think it takes a little bit away from conference championship games because if you go in and it's Alabama and Georgia playing in the conference championship or Alabama LSU, let's just use that for this take because we're out of divisions. I mean, if the loser could still get in. And so then what do we plan a conference championship game for if at the end of the day, both teams are still going to be in what most teams covet which is the college football playoff. And so I think there's going to be a revisiting of that conversation because there might be a day and age, Paul. Let's just say for the sake of this argument that it is Alabama and LSU playing in the reconfigured SEC championship game. Well, why would either of those coaches risk anything in a now expanded playoff, which now adds more games to the season to ultimately get to a national championship? No, I I think uh, it could... Some of the epic games that we've seen, uh, the Alabama-Georgia games of a couple of years, not not the most recent one, but a couple of years ago, uh, are going to be lessened. And not to not to relitigate, but, you know, Kirby Smart's perfect season went down the drain in 21, losing to Alabama, but it almost assured him of, of winning the championship. Uh, Alabama lost a key, uh, a key wide receiver in that game. And Georgia just wasn't quite mentally dialed in because they they knew they had a freebie and you can't explain it, but it it, it does work that way. And uh, I mean, there's some really rough scenarios. You have two undefeated teams, and they, uh, you know, it's 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 possible you could have that. It's possible you could have what three or three or four meetings uh, of of a, of a Michigan and Ohio State uh, in regular season. Uh, the next week in the championship game, you could get them again. So, I mean, there's a lot of factors, but I still, I, I still think it, it's worth 
doing only because I, I think it makes not to use a political phrase here, but I'm using a phrase that matters to college football by being inclusive. It means more more programs are going to participate. And I think that's good. Yeah. And look, we've seen the conference realignment. The Big 12 is welcoming in a whole new slew of teams and UCF being one of them, Houston being one of them, BYU being another. There are a lot of programs now that they for survival, they had to get into the power five to even be considered a playoff caliber team. And we're going to see it's funny with the realignment and everything that's going on. USC, UCLA, Big Ten next year, SEC, Texas and Oklahoma. All of this was done pre-playoff expansion era, but ultimately we think it's leading to the same thing where you've got a group of 60 teams that are going to be playing for the 12 playoff spots. And within the next two to three years, the sport that we love, we're still going to love it, but it's going to look completely different because Paul, I bet if we look back even three to four years, how this game has evolved into what it is now, we're evolving with it because quite frankly, we have zero choice. Yeah, and I think the biggest uh, net upside, Matt, is going to be December, which, as you well know, uh, college football just completely cedes to the NFL, and now it's going to be it's going to be a very dramatic month. It will be chaotic, uh, but but we'll see things we've never seen before. As opposed to now, we have the championship game, and uh, you know the next week's the Army Navy game, which is great. Okay, Heisman, all that, but still, uh, and and then we wait for the. You know, the first round, round of bowl games, which are not terribly uh, scintillating unless you've got a bet in Vegas. Yeah. And look, at the end of the day, more college football is never a bad thing. I feel like I needed to pay someone for this therapy that I was just given. Breaking the silence over the long offseason is gone. The ESPN College Football YouTube channel, I'm telling you, we've got some great things planned for this year, including myself and Paul Feinbaum each and every Sunday. After we sit back a Bloody Mary, I'll hang out with you guys. Then Paul and I will get together and we'll recap all of it as we count down to the start of the regular season, seven Saturdays. That's all you have. Get in all the stuff you need to get into now because they are going away pretty quickly. Paul, always a pleasure. Look forward to doing this again. Thank you, Matt. Can't wait. Thanks for watching ESPN on YouTube. For live streaming sports and premium content, subscribe to ESPN+.